0: Are you okay with this chat being recorded, Percy? No, absolutely not. Ciao, this is Lucas. Welcome to the Toast of the Wild East, podcast for ambitious Toastmasters willing to raise their game. In this podcast, I interview guests willing to share their insights about applying what they learn in Toastmasters in their professional career to help you do the same. Our guest today is Percy Rowland, sales executive at Mass Property Marbella, luxury real estate specialist with passion for communication, public speaking, debating, writing and art, winner of various speech contests, and speaking trainer and coach. Percy was also organizer of Game of Words 2019. I can tell you that Percy indeed is a famous Toastmaster And the interview with Percy was so interesting that we actually ended up chatting almost one hour and a half. And so that's why this interview is split in two parts. It's time to get started the first one and you can be looking forward to the next one one week later. Percy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lukas. Um, firstly, the first thing that comes to my mind is that you are Toastmaster and you work in real estate business, which I think is not a combination that would be quite frequent. How are these two connected? You know, that's funny you say that because
1: I've met quite a few um, people in who in Toastmasters in, in at conferences who work in real estate. In fact, uh, I remember one, I used to work at a, another company, it's quite a big international business. Uh, Company called England volkas and um I was at a- conference in Italy, and um I did some presentation and afterwards a woman came up to me and she said, We work in the same company so um yeah i i I know a few, but um then again, you don't meet that many um real estate people generally unless of course you live here, which is uh, basically you walk into a room and you ask who works in real estate, and nine out of ten hands go up so uh, really? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's like the only industry we have.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you think that you could you could maybe tell me a little bit more about that? If so you can tell me a little bit more about the city you live in and how it's connected to the real estate industry, why so many people work in real estate there?
1: Okay. Um, well, yeah, Mabeya is, a, I don't, for those who don't know, it, it's, a, it's like a resort city in a way. Um, going back in history, it's like it, it was, well, it actually has quite a varied history we had romans and phoenicians and all kinds of uh, we have a lot of history but um then it sort of became a, a sleepy fishing village until mm-hmm. uh, a german spanish aristocrat called alfonso honlo inherited a little farm this was in the 30s or 40s it was a, like a farmhouse on the beach it was very very basic the roads were not paved uh, there were donkeys on the on the streets and you know there was no electricity basically and he inherited this and fell in love with the place. It was absolutely beautiful, and uh, his he, he invite, started inviting his friends over. His friends happened to be people like Grace Kelly, Audrey Hepburn, the Aga Khan, you know, royal international royalty, and so on. And uh-huh. they, they, you know, invited them into this basically farmhouse, which was very, very, you know, you know, they had the most simple uh, life you could imagine, and everybody loved it. And at some point they told him why don't you turn this into a hotel Mm -hmm. or like a little you know like a club so he added some little buildings and he called it the mabea club and that was the beginning of tourism let's say in in mabea and from the start it, it attracted a like jet set um of europe at the time of course over time it grew a lot and it changed a lot and it had its ups and downs and now it's really turning into the like a mini miami basically it's it's incredible the development we've had here, but it's it's always been an international destination mm-hmm. and so obviously lacking uh, major industry, lacking higher education, lacking corporate corporates uh, all businesses are small businesses um you know you, you you don't have a lot you know when the main uh, source of uh, income is tourism or residential tourism,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: obviously you end up with a, a few uh, sectors, and real estate being the the prime um, mm-hmm. business.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I'm curious now is: Have you always lived in Marbella? Like, did you grow up there, and that's why you picked uh, work in real estate because basically that was the only thing you could do, besides <laughs> running the hotel, <laughs> or what was that 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 so different?
1: So yeah. very sad. Yes, that's true actually. Um <laughs> I, I mean I spent I spent part of my I spent my early childhood in so my father was German. Uh mm-hmm. and um I was born in Vienna actually. So I spent part of my childhood between Austria and Germany. And uh
0: but I mean he he was
1: one of the early, let's say, not pioneers, but he he came down in the 60s first and fell in love with it. And you know moved here part-time and then more or less full-time and then at some point i popped along and that was not planned but uh, we uh-huh. yeah we we ended up living here again really by by chance more than it was never planned um but he was much older so at some point he just didn't have the energy to move anymore so we stayed here
0: mm-hmm. okay and yeah so how did that I'm, I'm always wondering because like real, real estate or work in real estate, I do not have that, I do not know that many people who are doing that. So I'm curious how was the process when you were at some point, I guess, and when you were probably, you know, like finishing school, you had to decide, <clears throat> okay, what is it that I'm going to do? Uh, how did you decide that you're going to work in real estate? How did you begin? I didn't. Um, uh, okay.
1: <laughs> It happened to me. Well, the the first the the weird thing about me is I was partly to do with my father's age and health problems and so on. I was homeschooled, mm-hmm. and, and then sort of his his you know he had multiple strokes and so on. That when I was still a teenager, so that kind of took over my life and derailed it a bit, limited uh-huh. my options, and. Yeah, at some point it was just, you know, you, you you really, you're in a situation where you also have to start, you know, supporting a family and everything. And this was the one thing that was really readily available. And at the same time, also something that actually did attract me. I mean, I spent, okay, I spent, first of all, a good part of my childhood in the backseat of estate agents' cars, because my father was constantly looking for a house, never uh-huh. bought one. Like the worst client in history. <laughs> and i sometimes thought you know if i ever had my father as a client you know how would i deal with him could uh-huh. would i be able to make him buy a house just quite an interesting challenge but yeah. um, and you know when you when you have it from the and then later also a few times i was, I was looking for a, a place to rent or something and and i was quite often i was shocked just by the lack of professionalism the lack of sheer common sense from a lot of the agents and got to know one thing in spain generally uh, or at, at, yeah i think it's actually a whole of spain um real estate is an unregulated profession as such so there's no you d- it's not like other countries where you have to pass an exam and a test and get a license and all that
0: mm-hmm. basically
1: anyone can be an estate agent unfortunately a, a lot of them are and um i have this weird uh, thing that when i see someone do something badly it sort of triggers something in me like let me have a go at it so hmm. this has been a, a, a big driver in my life actually when i see you know someone do do something really bad he's like okay i i'll i'll show them how it's done uh-huh. <laughs> so i started getting curious about it and yeah how, so I skipped into it. how old
0: how old were you back then when you started
1: well when i first started dabbling in it i think i was 22 or something uh-huh uh, and I said I, I started just doing it a little bit on the side as a freelancer, and um, which didn't go very well. But then also that was two thousand, God, what year was it? Yeah, two thousand eight, nine. When we had the financial crash. Oh,
0: that was probably the worst year, no, to start in real estate.
1: Absolutely. It was, you know, story of my life. Picked the, picked the <laughs> worst possible moment, and everybody told me that. And I, in my, you know, in my unmatched wisdom, I said, yes, of course, it's perfect. You have to start when it's rock bottom because then you've experienced everything. Or sounds great in theory. In reality, of course, it's, a, it's a not the best idea. But um, no, it, <laughs> I, I did learn through that, uh, you know, not to have to, to be patient. I think, which is one important. Uh, thing one has to be able to which unfortunately and it's not my nature i'm not a patient person but uh yeah, i learned I'm... to be very you know to, to be okay with not doing a deal in four months you know or six months mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or for a deal to wait six months to go through which also happens
0: yeah okay so you, you mentioned a couple of things but what really made me curious was as you you mentioned the as you were watching other real estate agents doing their job poorly what were the things that they were doing wrong
1: well i would say starting with um just communicate how to communicate with your client uh how to treat your client you know with you know you you, you just have to be professional like i remember once i had an appointment and mm-hmm. i was on the way and we had the appointment, let's say for one o'clock and it was maybe five minutes to one and I have a phone call and I'm driving so I didn't answer it, I didn't have hands free at the time. Then I had another phone call then I had a message saying, I'm here. I was like, it's five minutes before the appointment. Why are you chasing me? You know, this kind of thing. Or you get there and the agent is 10 minutes late which also happens. And then, uh, you know, they'd open the apartment and they hadn't been in before so oh wow show it maybe they'd been in at some point that they knew the property but they certainly did not go there before the appointment and clearly yeah. i remember this was one distinct this was one appointment it was the same one and this lady so she called me she was there before but she didn't bother to go into the property to oh you know draw the curtains open the mm-hmm. windows check uh-huh. if everything was clean mm, nothing so we walk in there it's dark we're stumbling <laughs> over furniture and <laughs> uh, the light switches, uh, there's a cockroach in the bathroom, and it goes on. And like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. And, uh, you know, and I've seen this, I've seen this many, many times, and I've seen this, unfortunately, at the highest level of some of the biggest names in the business. And not. we're not talking about showing some smaller pub, but I've seen this kind of attitude and this way of not showing a property for three, four million euro so it's now it's changed the last few years especially uh, new companies and new people have come into the, the the business who've really upped the game and made it more professional so now it's different um but still you get the the cowboys let's say um who, who work like this
0: mm-hmm. interesting As you as you speak about you know how the industry develops and also you mentioned before we had the chat about how the market in marbella is different probably in many other cities mm-hmm. because of the specifics uh yeah how how is it how is it different in like you know real estate uh, market in a mm-hmm. resort city like marbella compared to let's say a country a bit like i don't know to madrid mm-hmm. to barcelona to prague or yeah how do you compare these
1: that's very that's a very interesting question uh on multiple levels it's different um the first i would say is that and you know all these things somehow tie in with the subject, actually, that we'll get to at some point, probably with um, Toastmasters and public speaking, or well, communication, because a lot of it has to do with communication, how you handle it. I think that a lot of it is, for example, the motivation of uh, the buyer. Um, when you have a normal residential market, say, mm-hmm. in major cities, um, in many cases, a, a property is a necessity, right? I need to I need to buy a house, and I need to buy it in this area because my kids go to school, and they start school at that date. So you know, between, you know, I have to buy something within the next three months, and this is my budget, and I need so many rooms, and it's more of a of, um, a product that I need. Whereas a yeah. uh, uh, home here generally is a luxury item. So mm. it's the same as as comparing uh, you know normal retail with um, I don't know high-end jewelry or something like that it's the yeah. product you're selling is a is not a need it is a want mm-hmm. so the psychology of the how you handle this how you find what the motivation is how you find the emotional trigger that will make the, the buyer go for one specific property what is it they you know what is it they're dreaming of and so on that that is very different mm-hmm. um then the process of Obviously, then it's there's a difference if you're dealing with this kind of market, especially here. Again, there are massive differences if you're going into a, the sort of the lower end holiday apartments uh, mm-hmm. with a price range of I don't know, 200,000, or if you're in the high end villa market of three, four million upwards, and we have properties here of 30 million, 40 million. Mm-hmm. Um, again, obviously, the the whole psychology of a buyer of that range and how you deal with them is different um and yeah and superficial things how you how you treat them and, and so on but the process this is the interesting thing the process actually of how you show a property or how you should show a property in my opinion um how you try and narrow down the client's needs And often the client doesn't even know what they need, this is the interesting part, so you you, you don't often they have some vague idea, but they don't really know what they need. And this is where how you communicate with them what sort of questions you ask, for example, is very relevant and something we all know in sales training, the beginning is. You know you have to have to ask a lot of questions But people tend to ask the wrong questions Um, they ask you how many bedrooms do you need how many what you, you know very specific questions. And I learned mm-hmm. over time that the, the more open the question is, the better the information. So I now sometimes ask the most cheesy question you can imagine. I say, what's your dream? Mm-hmm. And this is the last thing they expect from, a, from a, like a professional salesperson. What's your dream? Yeah, like, what do you mean? Okay, if you, let's say you close your eyes. You imagine you're, perfect, you're waking up in your perfect home. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And then they start, it, because it takes them by surprise, they really start doing it and it starts that thought process and sometimes they realize something they didn't even know you know so it's and and that gives me so much information because you have to find especially in this kind of uh, property because it's a, ultimately it's not a necessity right so it's often mm-hmm. i dream of the sea view i dream of something very specific and and if you don't get that information out of them like that you you, you don't know it yeah. Or they think something is very important to them and it and, and then you realize actually it's not so, not so important. But ultimately the process of it's also a process of elimination. So then you pick you pick like a few favorites and you try not to show too much so that you you get the feedback at the end. Okay, what how did you like for the first, the second, and the third property? Mm-hmm. And it gives you that, an idea, and you, know, you can narrow it down for the next two or three and you try not to show too many. And that ultimately is, in to me, that is the same no matter what the budget, no matter where the clients come from, no matter what the nationality, no matter. That process for me is pretty much the same throughout. And then, of course, yeah. negotiating the deal.
0: Yeah, I understand. Um, okay, and you, you already started describing it, but do you think you could, let's say, reiterate or maybe briefly describe the process from the moment that you find out there's a new client interesting interested in what you're offering uh, to closing the deal what would be the steps could you you know could you summarize it mm. it's not always yeah it's not always the same but generally
1: uh yeah we 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 do get people that leads usually come from outside of the country to start with. So they uh-huh. uh, online these days, of course, they, they, I, the game has really changed in the last few years with, uh, especially with social media. And I remember mm-hmm. when I started in earnest in the big company, it was like 2014, 15. And I remember we, our management and so on, they looked down on social media. They said, that's for kids, you know, Facebook, that's for kids. And Instagram yeah. is still quite new. So they're not even dream about it now about 18 80 percent of clients come through social media and that has also changed the the nature because i mean now you know real estate now realtors really the top realtors have to be great communicators and they have to be public speakers because they do uh, uh, tours on youtube and there are big the big stars of uh, uh, real estate in america they're all youtubers so Mm -hmm. it's fascinating how it has changed and and the inquiries come based on visual content generally whereas in the past often they came from through more facts and figures about the property how many square meters how many rooms nowadays that's, that's that's an afterthought in many cases yeah but yeah so the client comes in and it's interesting to know what they're based on because that also gives you an idea like what triggered them so if it's if it's you know an instagram post is like the, it's a visual thing generally they found this this picture very attractive yeah then you try and have a a conversation with them unfortunately in many cases we never get them on the phone and i really find it vital to speak to someone because that's when you get to know them a bit and you can have a more casual conversation Mm -hmm. something that is very important to me is always to try and establish a relationship with the client that has us on a there's a wonderful expression in german to be of Augenhöhe, to be on eye level like to be equal Mm -hmm. so uh, it's very easy in sales to become um, uh, uh, like a yeah a salesperson, like a servant, you know, especially yeah. if you're dealing with very high-end or VIP wealthy clients, that can yeah. be intimidating and even more if you're young or inexperienced. But the problem mm-hmm. is that if you are in that position, you are in no, you have no position of power in this in this um, negotiation later. And you have to be You have to get to a point where the client trusts you and sees you as a partner, not as someone who's trying to sell him something, but as a partner in a process to the point that ideally you want to get to a situation where the client says, what do you, what should I do? What do you, what do you suggest I do? Mm -hmm. And that is established generally in the first conversation. And so it's, it's, it's in my view, it's keeping it professional, but at the same time, quite casual and just chatting, you know, as if as if i was meeting someone at a party and have a conversation
0: do you have a set of questions that you always ask or is it always improvised
1: it's improvised now because i i have it in my head usually but uh-huh. i still sometimes it's good to, it's good to take notes um generally yes there are there are a few but i try to keep them as open as possible to uh, to mm-hmm. get them to tell me what they want so it's, it's so much better when you when you get the other person because it starts their thought process. You know, it's not like they're yeah. rattling off some, they're ticking boxes, but they come up with the content. Yeah. Um, but there are specific questions you need to ask. Have you been here before? You're like, have you been to Mabea before? Do you know the coast? That's vital mm-hmm. because if I tell them about Guadalmina and Los Monteros and Elvira and all different areas, and he has no clue where it is, it's no use. Yeah. Um, if they don't know it, I have to describe the area and so on. Then uh, do you you know do you need finance um, or are you looking to get finance things like that? Uh, what's okay. your time frame? How you know are you looking to buy within the next three months or are you are you looking within the next year or two? Which happens a lot, and yeah. you know I <laughs> I need to know this because I'm not going to waste you know if you have a lot of clients you can't spend like ten or twenty percent of your time on a client who probably is not going to buy this year you know and that you need to know pretty much in advance and people are scared to ask these questions sometimes people really are scared to ask direct questions I, I i will never forget the sales training i had way back and um the trainer was brilliant it was in it was in germany and you know you like the cliche is germans are dry and don't have a sense of humor not true in this case it was five days of comedy
0: it was absolutely <laughs>
1: He was, Mm -hmm. he should be on stage, that man was a genius. Um, And and he, at one point he said, you know, the one question you should ask at the end of the, you know, when you, how do you, (laughs) how do you ask a client, you know, if they want to buy the property or to make an offer? And we were all sitting there coming up with all kinds of clever, you know, like chat up lines. You know, you try to be very clever instead of asking the obvious. And he said, there's a much simpler question you can ask. You'd look them in the eye, you say, would you like to buy this property? <laughs> <laughs> we said you can't ask that it's too direct. It's, it's, you know, it, we overcomplicate things often. It's, it's really, it's funny, uh-huh.
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, you, you, there is always like a set of questions you need to ask to
0: just have an idea of, you know, basics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then, so do you have this initial conversation with the client? Do you find out some, some basic information mm-hmm. of what, what, what comes next?
1: Well, you send them a selection of properties uh, to look at and and based on what they told you what their budget is and what their sort of main requirements are you try and keep the, that there depends very much on on the situation there are some clients where you know you have to send them 10 15 things to look at otherwise mm-hmm. they will not be satisfied uh generally i prefer to send three and there's a reason why we always go for three like in toastmasters rule of three it's very simple when you when you do the follow-up call you send them three attachments instead of asking them reference numbers and simply say which one did you like most the first the the, the top the middle or the bottom one uh-huh. um, there's a very simple it's also there's the psychology of three always um but that's not a rule it's just sort of it it tends to work and you try and identify what their favorites are and then you hope that they're, if they're in the country it's easy you try and arrange a viewing and otherwise you try and get them to to visit Mm-hmm. and then obviously the next next step is to do the um, the showings of the properties
0: mm-hmm. i understand and then then comes closing the deal then comes
1: closing the deal but the thing is people think of closing as something that happens like it's an extra actually closing starts from the moment you first speak to the client uh-huh. it's a process Cl- the, closing the deal is the end result and if you, if I think if how you handle the early stages to some extent determines how well you or how how well positioned you are to close the deal later. um Obviously, the the main part. I mean, there is a lot of and once you've done it for a long time, you it it becomes like a, also a game in a way, and you think of all these little psychological tricks and so on, but ultimately it's very simple we are selling a product it's not yeah. about I cannot make you buy something you don't really want. Yeah. There are some people maybe who can do it that's first of all, it's not ethical secondly, in the long run, it will come back and bite you. Um, yeah. There is one thing you cannot really change, and that is the motivation of the buyer if you are not ready to buy chances are you will not buy. And if Mm -hmm. you don't like the property or you're not fully convinced, I cannot really make you go for it. So I have to be a matchmaker in a way. I have to try and read you and understand you as a person also and match you with the right property. Mm -hmm. And that is also why I believe in doing less is more. I believe in showing two or three. I need the first viewing sometimes more than first but the very first one is the one that will tell me a lot about you as a person if you're my client mm-hmm. uh and one rule that i sort of learned over time and i like to talk as most toast nurses do but during viewings i try and talk as little as possible i basically okay. i just show it or if there's another broker involved i let the other broker the other broker knows the house better than me i let the other broker do it and i accompany them and i listen. And mm-hmm. I want reactions because that gives me a lot of information. And in most cases, clients come as a couple. So they mm-hmm. talk among themselves. Some are very open. Some are really trying to hide their reactions because they don't trust these salespeople. You know, they're going to immediately, if I show that I like it, they're going to jump on me and want, to, want me to, to buy it. Of,
0: of, of course. <laughs> I mean, sales salespeople are uh, horrible. Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: don't <laughs> trust them. But... Um, so you get this, but it's it's really it gives you so many clues. And some people are very open, easygoing. And you can have you can talk and chat and joke during the view. In some people it's better to just keep a distance. Yeah. <clears throat> but the one thing that I have learned is try and speak as little as possible during. Never oversell. So let's say you have a you you have some great feature. You come you you come in, and let's say the view is the greatest feature. You don't go in and say, look at this magnificent view, and so on and so forth. And they say, yeah, it's nice. But if you just yeah. walk in and you just draw the curtains and you say nothing, uh-huh. they will go, wow, right? Right. They will because... say, what a great view. And then you can confirm and say, Yes, isn't it nice? Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't exaggerate. Yeah. So it's much better. I always prefer under, under sell and over deliver. Um, so again, the less you speak, the better. And then one mistake that a lot of people do is they ask after each property so let's say you do a tour with three properties and they ask so how did you like it bad mistake ask Uh at the very end of the tour when they've seen all the properties Uh because if you get the immediate reaction first of all the immediate reaction can give you wrong ideas because they still haven't seen everything right right um there are exceptions i mean if someone has happened to me actually one of the fact the biggest sale i've done so far the second house we saw they basically turned around and said this is it like we love this house but still i said okay well look let's wait let's see the other ones first and then we can always come back to this one uh-huh. um, but ideally you don't want to have this conversation until at the very end and i love having that conversation like on the street as as, as they're about to get in the car and if they, they expect you to just say goodbye you say so what do you think hmm you know, and they're like, what, what? What do you mean? What do you think? Yeah, you know, what well, the other houses we saw. What sort of? What's your? What's your feedback? What's your opinion? And again, ideally, keep it open. Like with yeah. a, with speech evaluation, you know, you don't want to make it too 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 uh, detailed or ask the the closed questions. You want them to come up with, well, you know, the first house we like this, second house we like that, and so on. And if if there is none, where it's obvious that there's none that they're going to go for, you can at least narrow it down and say, okay, out of these three, which one is your favorite? yeah if i you know it and and then say okay the second one mm, what would have to be different for you to buy that house yeah and so you really start narrowing it down because then it also it, ha, it helps you to choose the next ones but also it does something you frame it in a way that you you try and focus them on committing to buy something you know not just a window
0: shop mm-hmm.
1: And, mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, 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 that's, that's a process. And then some, what happens often already after the first viewing is that they ask, you know, okay, yeah, how negotiable is the price and, and so on. And that's where the closing process starts, where you can sort of put a, a figure in their heads, which is never, yeah. ideally never the, the final figure, so that you have some, some maneuvering space, but you try and, a figure in their heads where they should start with an opening offer so that it's it's something that is um negotiable that is you know realistic that is not because some people come in really with offers where you know that they will be rejected which again you can it can be good because you want to start off the process um and but you tell them in advance look that offer i can tell you right away that will not be accepted but of course you know we can start with that Mm -hmm. um and that's when the fun game starts
0: Oh yeah, I mean, very interesting, the way you, what you're describing, how you are doing it, like uh, giving them space and asking only at the end of the tour and making open questions, but also like framing it to like direct them towards actually making a decision. I think uh-huh. I think you're doing two things at the same time because first, I, it leaves them the feeling that they are in control, right? Yeah you're, there, you're not putting pressure on them after every bit. It's not like you're the, like you're not pushing them to buy anything. Yeah. Yeah, and and you let them to come to their own conclusions. Like for example, the view, right? You say, right? You're not pushing them. It's a beautiful view, but you just you show. You you don't tell. Yeah. Then the conclusion is theirs. So it's their idea.
1: Yes, and also you know it's very important that you. <laughs> we we all learn this in the in the business through trial and error. Like especially error. Um, <laughs> you can think that some because people are different. So let's say you mm-hmm. think. That something is a positive. Like, yeah. um, I don't know, let me think of an example. Like, oh, this is close to, you know, for example, let's say you're a let's say you're a mother of small children, mm-hmm. and for you it's a positive that the house is close to a school. Yeah. But th- now, but your client is not, and for them, school means, oh my God, noisy kids. Yeah. Right? So what is a positive for one person is a negative for another. Mm-hmm. Um that, so if you if you are too busy selling every everything that you think is positive about this house, you might be pushing something that the client doesn't even like. or say, "Oh, look at this beautiful, um, you know, beautiful furniture." The the, the uh, client says, "I hate this furniture." Yeah. Then you also feel immediately you have a disconnect. Like the, you're no longer partners. You mm-hmm. are like you know a couple that is arguing over the furniture. You don't yeah. want that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's better to just shut up and w- listen to the cues of the client so the client might say oh the furniture is really beautiful and then you say yes yes it is it's, it's a, one of the top interior designers and so on and so forth and then maybe the next question will be like is the furniture included uh, we can negotiate it right mm-hmm. or the client might say i hate this furniture don't worry we'll get rid of the furniture just imagine <laughs> the house without it you know
0: <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> so you, I, have to be, you, have to be, you have to adapt you have to be a chameleon
0: um (laughs) spirit
1: spirit animal of our trade Uh um and that that whole process so so it's and you know the more you do it it becomes second nature and i think it's it's good because it makes you a better listener and not to be not to be judging not to prejudge and think oh they will like this and that you don't you never know what people will like or not and just because you like it there's another there's another thing i was just thinking of speaking of um you know what is positive or negative. There is something I I would call the hidden negative so Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people do this Uh, they let's say you show a a property and maybe it needs a bit of renovation. Mm -hmm. And then they go and say oh you know they go in already like an architect and say here, you can knock down this wall, and you can make this bigger and you can open a window here and so on. Now, if your client specifically is like someone who wants to knock down everything and rebuild fine then you'll just you know you go in specifically looking at the potential, but if you let's say have a normal client. You think great potential right that's what Uh you hear Uh what the client might hear is. Oh, dear, this place needs work. I don't want to do work. That, that's what um, I would think. Yeah, I, I hate know? that kind or of work. <laughs> you can make this room, you can knock down this wall and you can make the room much bigger. Now you think that's a positive, but the client here is what do you mean. Oh, the room is small. Yeah, actually it is a bit small. <laughs> so uh-huh. you, can't, you, you highlight a negative by pointing out what you could change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's also dangerous. So it's better to wait. You show the thing, you, just, you say nothing. And you watch the client, the client looks around, looks at the wall and says, this room is a bit small. Then you tell him, ah, but this wall you can knock down and you can, you know, you can incorporate the kitchen in the living room. and So So instead of you coming in already with a preconceived problem or a preconceived solution, which only highlights the problem, you wait for the client to point out the problem and then you come up with the solution. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, totally different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, um, you must be a chameleon. I think that's a that's an interesting <laughs> takeaway and it's a pretty cool line. You okay, just just to just to close out this part, the process part. Mm-hmm. Mm, so okay, so let's say you close deal, you agree on the price, client base, or they you know they you agree on the financing. Do you still uh do something actively to keep the relationship with a client who bought from you? or is it then is then done 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 business for
1: you it really depends on actually yeah you should maybe a bit more than i do i'm unfortunately i'm not that good with staying in touch with people but generally yes i i think it depends a bit on how the relationship develops i've actually some clients have become friends Mm -hmm. and in fact just the other day i was um i i I was got a message on instagram from from a lady who was she was not actually my client. She was my colleague's client from the Netherlands, and we she bought a uh, she had her husband. They bought a property, and then they there was very they were a lovely, lovely couple, and they they invited us for when they moved in. They invited us for um, drinks and little little party, basically just to thank us for for our help in you know finding the property. Nice. And we started talking, and we started talking about Toastmasters and she was super curious. And so I put I'm not sure if she's joined now, but she was going to look up Toastmasters in Maastricht no way Um, so we're still in touch and it's like you know it's very nice when that happens and you really you have a uh, end up having a good relationship but yeah it's like everywhere you know when you and and really this is this should be the goal when you first have the client is more to build the relationship even if ultimately maybe they don't buy this time or but you know if they have a good experience then they will tell their friends and then you will get new clients through that and and if that is your focus that's better than just trying to close a deal but mm-hmm. you know it's interesting you have skipped the most interesting part because really negotiating oh. you know, the 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 same All right well. yeah no but i'm very i'm grateful you did because now i
0: don't need <laughs> to reveal my dark um, my dark arts okay so we you know so i think of course this this podcast is like available to anyone for free so then if we decide you know to create some like super overpriced paid content we can do it like this the dark secrets of Percy roland okay (laughs) (laughs) okay well well, super i think this was this was super super interesting to walk through to walk through the process and also see uh, what is what are possibly the, the mind mind set shifts that you need Mm -hmm. to go through in order to Mm -hmm. get better at that kind of business. This is the end of part one. I did not want to overwhelm you. So I got it right there. In part two we'll be talking about the connection between real estate and Toastmasters. First we'll share a story about one of his strange clients. and Finally some tips for fellow Toastmasters who would like to start in the real estate business, if you haven't subscribed yet to A Toast Dualities, you'd better. I'll talk to you in part two. Bye bye.